This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read More Harm Than Good by Andrew Grant and Mick read Casino King by Rebecca Gannon. It's Bibliovile! My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here once again with two terrible books to bring you our dispatches from the bad book enterprises out there in the wild, wild west. We didn't want to leave you hanging. We didn't want to leave you without your weekly, bi-weekly, I guess, dose of terrible books. We're bumping up those numbers, though. All three of you would surely be disappointed. No longer is it both of you. Truly heartbroken. All three people out there would really be hurt. Uh, if we didn't get out because we are going on vacation tomorrow morning. Yay! We are going on our first trip, first major trip since 2018. So it's not even a pandemic thing. I know. Um, We were planning a really, really fantastic trip with my sister, loyal listener Michelle, and her husband. We were going to go to Disloyal listener Matt. Uh, we had that trip planned for the summer of 2022, and that did no, not work out super summer well. Summer of 2020. Oh, yeah. 2020. Unless you had a different thing planned for the summer of 2020, and you were saying it is also planned for the summer of 2020. Sure. Um, but instead, <laughs> sure, that and. obviously didn't happen. <laughs> and we are headed out tomorrow. We are leaving to go visit two very good friends of ours in the Twin Cities. And then from there, we are driving up to Dickinson, North Dakota, to visit the one of the least visited national parks in the country, Teddy Roosevelt National Park. And then from... Dickinson, we are going to head out to Whitefish, Montana and go visit one of the most visited national parks in the country, Glacier. I can't believe you said we're going to the Twin Cities and you didn't mention mildly loyal listener Nate Jones. Oh, I'm sorry. We're going up to the Twin Cities to visit mildly loyal listener Nate Jones. All right, good. We got to shout out as many people as we can on the podcast because that's To pretend we... that we have listeners. Yeah, that we've said 60% of the listeners <laughs> just now and now we, you know... Um, Many Hooser, what we are going to be doing here is we're going to be taking a look at these bad books on a Thursday night, it's so odd, in order to release early, and then uh, we'll get on top of the, the books while we're out there. I know. I'm probably going to walk into a bison or whatever, and that's not going to go well for me. We might even start recording episodes and like banking them up for my... I, can I take a maternity leave from this podcast that I don't get paid for? You can just stop doing it, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're currently thinking those through. That'll be very exciting to figure mm-hmm. it out. Um, but last week, I... Uh, oh, we'll get to that. Because it was my book we had to have a, a shift on. So yes, we did so, not have my book. Uh, or we did not have your book. And instead, I went to the library, walked all the way down there to try and uh, uh, <clears throat> get sweaty, which was not very hard, uh, and found after a couple easy picks that I turned down... I found More Harm Than Good by Andrew Grant. And according to the back of the book, the inciting incident to this book is that he gets his boots stolen. So Susan, tell me about Andrew Grant. No, that's the author. Uh, David Trevelyan and his boots. I feel like this book wants to be not a James Bond, but like a you know, secret agent in a tricky situation kind of thing. And a it Jamie want, Bond. It wants to be that so badly, 
but it can't really figure out how to get its characters into those situations. So it does so in really stupid ways. Um, it was also, turns out, not very well written. I know that comes as a <laughs> shock for a bibliophile yes. book. Um, there was, so again, the inciting incident is that our main character, David Trevelyan, is in the hospital because he was injured on a case. Is he English? Yes. He's just in hospital then. He's in hospital Doing because his maths. he was injured on a case and he wakes up and realizes that his boots have been stolen. And these are not like, you know. Gadget boots. Ish, they're not gadget boots. They were not issued to him by his employer. He spent his own money on them and they're very comfortable. And he has like 10 years left of wear in them. And he's real mad that someone stole his boots. So he goes to the hospital administration to see what they're going to do about it, and then events ensue. I do have to say... It's one of the worst things that can happen to events. One of the funniest things about this book, and the things that it gets the most realistically, is how frustrating bureaucracy can be. Because he goes to the like head administrator of this hospital, and he's like, hey, someone stole my boots. You should do something about that. And the head administrator was like, okay, I'm going to call the director of security. So the director of security comes down and he explains the whole situation to her. And she says, okay, of course, I'll jump on it straight away. Can you just tell me what happened to the S-103? I'll need someone to track it down and get it on the system as quickly as possible. What's an S-103? It's our basic security incident reporting form. You have completed one, right? No, I haven't. Do you have a copy over there at least? No, I've never set eyes on one. Well, that's not a problem. Just ask Mags to print one out for you. She can pull one off the intranet, ask her to whiz it over to me once you filled it out, and I'll get the wheels in motion. What information do you need for this form? She said, just the basics, what happened, where, when, brief descriptions will be fine. And so they just go back and forth and back and forth. Like, I've already told you all of that and more. She says, yes, but you need to fill out the form. And so they're just going back for several pages with this lady refusing to help him with his problem unless he fills out the proper form, giving him the information that he's already given her. And I feel like that, like, absolute frustration of those, like, bureaucratic scenarios, they, they, Captured it very well. So it's like Ian Fleming's The Trial. Uh, Ian Fleming wrote the James Bond books, right? Yeah. Was that the joke? Yes. I don't know what The Trial is. It's the classic Kafka. Oh, yes. Okay. Now I'm putting the pieces together. <laughs> that that uh, reference went right over my head. I have to say, I, uh, I, we don't usually record with a pop filter on the microphone because it sucks and I hate it uh, to set it up. But I decided to this time and I'm very happy... With the number of times we've had to say hospital. Hospital. Pop, pop, pop. Look at those clean pops. Pop. Except for all that sibilance. So. Exactly. In addition to trying to figure out who stole his boots, David gets embroiled in a whole situation. There is a patient in hospital with him who is undercover from MI5. And she and her partner are investigating because there's a shipment of casium that has been stolen from the hospital. And they're supposed to find out who's going after or attempted to be stolen from the hospital wasn't actually stolen. She's supposed to figure out who tried to steal it and prevent them from actually stealing it. Then they uncover a terrorist plot. I was going to say, so someone else is the main character in this book, really. Uh, Does she have a James Bondish name? Is she like... 
I don't know. Agent. No, nah, her name is just Melissa. Oh. Yeah. Melissa Wainwright. And yeah, she is actually the main character of this book. I would say the book is from David's perspective. If I hadn't seen it on the cover, I would not have known David's name until probably 75 pages in. Even after finishing the book, I know nothing about this character. Like, I don't know. There was no physical description of him. There was no, like, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, inner monologue or his thoughts or his motivations. Like, we don't really know anything about this dude. I bet he had perfect breasts. Uh, He probably did. We actually, though, surprisingly, don't get anything about Melissa's breasts. So that was kind of nice. Why'd you even finish it? Nice change of pace. So, uh, Mick, I was kind of waiting for you to ask what casium is. Do you know what casium is? Yeah, it's a chemical. Uh, it is. Um, it doesn't occur naturally. Uh, it is made. Imaging. It is made from medical waste, uh, and people, if they get their hands on it, can uh, just release it into an air or water system, and hundreds or thousands of people will die. It's made up. It's made up, yeah. Wait, cesium? Yes. It's a real thing. Oh. It's a metal. Okay. Well, is it made from medical waste? Uh, is it spelled like that? And uh, It's spelled C-A-E-S-I-U-M. Hey, no, that's a, that's a metal. It's just a metal. Yeah, okay. So they made up some things for it. But anyway, um, then we get into this whole complicated subplot about figuring out who tried to steal the casium and stopping them. And then first we think it's a terrorist organization, but then there's a mole at MI5 and it's just a whole thing. Um, So that is basically the complicated big plot about this. Uh, One weird little detail that I picked up on that is quite common, like weirdly common in bibliophile books Mick, why are adults always sticking their tongues out at each other? Yeah, and flipping the bird. People don't really do that in real life. Yeah, especially not seriously. It's weird. Um, prob- I would say conservatively, 80% of this book is written just in dialogue. They never credit who is saying ah. the dialogue. It's just back and forth. And there's never really an explanation of like, what's happening while the dialogue is going. So it can be a little confusing. Then you got the earliest type of I want to write when I grow up. And I got, uh, I spoiler alert, got the second level of I want to write when I got It's a real evolution here in this episode. Yeah. Um, Revolution, I call it. Real evolution. Another interesting thing about the, all the dialogue in this book is that it, it's easy enough to keep track when there are only two characters talking back and forth, but we get several crowd scenes when there are multiple people going back and forth with zero help as to who is saying what. Disgusting. <laughs> it was a rough. Um, we get this super weird scene in the middle of the book about, like, they go to a bar to grab a drink, and Melissa gets harassed at the bar, and so David steals all of the guy's money and then gives it to a homeless person. It takes an entire chapter and a half and does not have any bearing on the plot. I was going to say, I'm glad he righted that wrong for Melissa. I mean, what? yeah, I'm like, I'm glad he stopped this guy from getting harassed. But like, why did we need the whole scene where he steals all his money and then proves to Melissa that he's a good person despite stealing all the money because he gave it to a homeless person? Oh, just you wait. 
Then uh, one of my notes is, I can't decide what's worse, the dialogue or the pacing of the plot. And I feel like that example at the bar with the harassment guy is a good example of it. Like there's weird things that get thrown in there for seemingly no reason that don't advance the plot, um, that take up a ton of time. And then we race through like climactic moments in a few paragraphs. So the pacing of this book is super weird. Um, At one point I wrote, how on earth are we not even halfway through this book? So that's about how I was feeling about it. Um, in the end, they figure out the plot. He was a little bit worried so for a reader. while. Yeah, so does the reader. Uh, they, he, David, was a little bit worried for a while that Melissa was the mole at MI5. Turns There's out it was mole. it was her partner. Um, like life partner or crime her partner? Her crime partner, her work oh, partner. I see. Um, in like the climactic scene, he is trying to save her. She's been handcuffed to a radiator. And he Classic. saves her. By shooting her hand off. Just shoots the whole thing off. And she's like, not mad, like, yeah, it's fine. You did what you had to do. And I guess I'm going to have to find a new job now, but it's okay. What? <laughs> like with a she's, pistol? Yes, with, a, with some type of gun. He shoots her hand off. When, with one shot, he shoots her hand off. Is this the Saw movies? What is going on here? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. But Shoot he, the handcuff. He shoots her hand off. Um, Did he miss here when she said, oh, shoot the handcuff? And she's like, <laughs> shoot the hand off? Okay. So yeah, like he is essentially, he has done some pretty major damage to this woman's life. Hey, haven't we all? Um, but yeah, that was the last note that I had. Uh, things wrap up sort of. There's not really an, any indication of like what is next for these characters. I briefly read the summaries for the first two books in the series, and it doesn't seem like there's a ton of continuation from book to book. So it's not like uh, the Eric Carter series where like there's a small plot and a big plot, and we're following this main character like. Yeah. throughout the series it's just there's a series with this character and it's like very episodic like things happen to him and then everything completely wraps up um it wasn't really pitched like there was going to be like there wasn't really any romantic tension between him and melissa it wasn't really pitched like they were going to end up together which that was kind of a nice change of pace because that's how these books always go so you're saying he didn't end up with sweet melissa no because he shot her hand off that's true i wouldn't Probably want to date him afterwards. I can't remember. I don't know if it was addressed in the dialogue because that's all we get from this book. So it wouldn't have been addressed. I need help. I know what to do. Ow. You shot my hand. (laughs) It's gone now. Um, So yeah, they catch the bad guys. And that's about it for this book. More Harm Than Good by Andrew Grant. Well, I would have to agree with the title. The freeing somebody from handcuffs by shooting their hand off. Does seem more harm than good. Like more harm than good. Uh, this seems self-published. I am seeing no publisher. That uh, I did not catch. That it does not surprise me. Yeah, I wonder if this is a a sort of uh, if this was a movie, it would be called a uh, uh, oh straight to video. No, yes, but <laughs> Vanity Project. Ah, uh, yeah. I bet but this guy has, is independently wealthy. and Yeah, probably, and decided to write this series. Um, it wasn't very good. I don't recommend it. 
All right. Yeah. Well, there goes my plan for Montana. I was going to read it. <laughs> um. So I wanted, I feel like we should circle back to this because you mentioned it at the top of the episode. Yeah. At the end of our last episode, I revealed the next book that I had gotten from Mick, which was from the Boss Hole series. Yeah. Uh, and it was... Something about a grump. Oh, grumpalicious in enemies to lovers, something, something, something. And I was pretty confident that this was going to be a great bibliophile book. And Mick started reading it and was like, yee, I don't know if we can do this one. I think that there were fewer than 60 words on every page because the font was so big on Kindle. Yeah. And we do a thing that is mean on this uh, podcast, really. We take books that people worked probably pretty hard on and then make fun of them for being bad. But most mo- of the time. Some of the time we praise them for being good. Oh, yeah. But for most of them, it was like, oh, this is published by Random House Publishing or Dark Horse or yeah. something like that. And so it, there's like a sense of, well, you got it for real published and so all's fair. Whereas this was a Kindle exclusive and it was just going to be kind of mean. It was like yeah. the difference between... Uh, like John Madden drawing on a football play or uh, Charles Barkley on basketball. Not that he ever draws, but, you know, drawing and saying, oh, this guy really screwed up the whole play. And then like a JV football game, yeah. like, oh, this idiot ruined the whole game. Like he's in a, he just can't do that one. Yeah. So uh, we had to switch midstream because I only got about 10 pages into it and it was not going to work for the purposes of this podcast. Sorry if you're out there and we're We're hoping. mean, but we're not going to be that mean. Yeah. So instead I read, thanks to you, Rebecca Gannon's Casino King. And uh, I will say this book was exactly what I expected and more in, oh, the, in the worst way. And instead of trying to uh, summarize it to you, I'm just going to read a series of quotes because my number one answer about this book is too many words. This tracks because Mick was furious that the book was still going for probably 70% of said book. He was just so mad. It's, uh, oh, the cliches are my first note was the cliches. And so I I guessed the the overall plot is there's this dancer in uh, Atlantic City, I later found out, not, oh, okay. not even Las Vegas. Uh, and she falls in love with a mafia boss. And so I said, she hides her pornness from him, but it turns out his family life and childhood was rough. Can she handle the scars he carries? And that was my prediction. And that was sort of it, but worse. Uh, I guessed that the first kiss was going to be at 44%. Mm-hmm. Turns out it was at 22%. I was way Ooh, off. Oh, yeah. That happened way earlier. Uh, I assumed that the first orgasm, which would naturally be hers, was going to happen 52% of the way through. It happened 33% of the way through. Because what it turns out is that the first sex scene, uh, I thought was going to be at 86%. It starts at 32 She does not get off from oral only first. He makes sure that he does sex with her first. Uh, which I was like, okay, we're out of this is a romance rom-com book and into this is a smut book. Yeah. And so before we get too far into it, I do want to say that I am going to be discussing the the sexual implications of this book and the fantastic, not the fantastical, but the, the fantasy nature of it. And basically the fantasy that this book applies to, and we'll see it, is just a good hard dickin', okay. you know? And it's like, not to get too personal, but the the people understand the concept that sometimes... It's just a good hard dickin' that that's the, you know, the thing you want. That's the point, yeah. But that is why most porn, th- like, movies are 
a single set of sexual uh, escapades and they yeah. go on way too long and there's too many different positions for real life. And of course, it's all very fake. But there's one time and then they go their separate ways and you clear your browser history. <laughs> but in a book, it's supposed to sort of keep going, except that the only fantasy that this book had was a good hard dickin'. So we just kept doing that well, over that, and over again? Well, that too, but uh, the, the characters refused to be anything more than the, the dolls to mm. make them be a good hard dickum. One of those. So I'm not going to summarize the plot. I'm going to read uh, the highlights, and okay. the highlights are going to mostly be at the front just to let you know just how cliche this book was, and then we'll get <laughs> into the awfulness of it later. She's a dancer. The music flows through me like a warm breeze, touching me with heated possession as it takes me over entirely. I pull the audience into my orbit, entrancing them with every movement and look. The bass drives my heartbeat. The rhythm moves my body. The tempo thrums my senses. The lyrics sway my... Too many words! Too many words. Can I ask, what kind of dancer is she? Is this oh, like, she's like stripper a ba- or a ballet? Well, she's like a, a showgirl, but she gets a solo because she's so good. I'll get there right. in a hot second. Very girl in gold boots. Yeah. Um, at, here on stage, I'm the me I need to be. Everything I hold on to all week comes out, and I feel free. I feel lighter. Everything I do and don't have doesn't matter when I'm up here. It's just me. And then this sounds like every college application essay I've ever read. Yeah. So this is why yours is the first one where it's like, ah, oh, characters talking. That's what books are, right? Yeah. Yep. And then this one is like descriptions of things. That's what books are, right? Honestly, as much as I disliked mine, I would kind of prefer if I'm going to read a bad book that has one of those two things, I would probably prefer it be the dialogue. That Fewer we'll, words. We'll get it in. We'll get in uh, to that in a little bit. But there's a mystery man from the shadows watching her. I can feel his eyes caress my body like he's undressing me, possessing me, and covering every inch of me in all the thoughts running through his mind of what he wants to do to me. Too many words. <laughs> From the glimpses I've gathered over these four weeks this month, I still haven't seen him fully. His face remains either partially or fully in the shadows. Okay. Only his square jaw making an appearance when he leans forward to reach for his drink. Only his square jaw showing when he leans forward to make, or when he reaches for his drink. Too many words. Too many words. I wonder, you know how when we first read, um... I, we always go back to Midnight Sins, but when we first read Midnight Sins, the biggest takeaway was that, like, this book was not read by anyone. Yeah. Like, no editor read this. Uh, it it kind of feels like maybe that happened with this one, because I feel like a good editor would have taken out some of them words. There's some red pen missing from this. Yeah. Um, I will say the typos do get worse as it goes on, so I Love think it. she self-edited. I love this one for how many cliches it packs into a single paragraph. Uh, I was seeing how many sentences it was, because it it should just be one or two. His dark suit is tailored perfectly, don't use adverbs, To is perfectly tailored also, uh, to his built frame that I know holds great power beneath the expensive material. Uh-huh. Even from up here on stage, I'm drawn to him, to the air of authority, strength, and confidence he exudes. Oh, bud. I only started, da- like, there's a whole pages I'm skipping, but you don't need those pages because it's too many words. So, like, this will tell you the story if I just go straight through. I only started dancing here at the Aces six weeks ago, and I already have a solo. The, sh- the show's, excuse me, manager saw something in me right away. And while the other girls who have been here longer might have a slight issue with that, I couldn't care less when I'm up here. 
I also teach dance at a studio in town. Sue, can you uh, establish how much I'm skipping? But it sounds like I'm, it's just like the next thing. He's skipping like multiple skip throughs on Kindle at a time. Uh, I also teach dance at a studio in town and I had come to see a Friday show a couple months ago after the (laughs) mom, this is great. This is one sentence. I also teach dance at a studio in town and I had come to see a Friday show a couple of months ago after the mom of one of the kids I teach gave me her tickets when she found out she couldn't go last minute. It's too many words. That is one sentence? It's one sentence. Yeesh. Gives her note. He has beautiful handwriting. So much so, I know he could seduce a woman with that alone if he wanted to. I'm not sure that that's... Uh, I'm she's not sure backstage. That that's a thing. Most of the other girls change into party clothes and either head out into the casino to gamble and cozy up to the high rollers at the tables or go to the casino's club royals to try and pick up the wealthy man who can show them a good time for a night or two. That's... The same thing in two different ways. Too many words. Never me, though. I don't even own any going out clothes, at least not like what the other girls wear. I work three jobs just to keep a roof over my head and food on the table, but I never complain. I teach three dance classes twice a week. I work at a 50s-style diner in town two shifts a week, and then I dance the Friday special night show here at the Aces, which also has rehearsals for it twice a week. To be in the show, I had to cut back on a couple diner shifts, but it's more than worth it for how it makes me feel. I'm always busy, I'm always tired, and I don't have any time for a life outside of work, but I love what I do. It's all that I have. Okay, so we heard about two of those three jobs twice already and we've heard how much she or how dancing makes her feel in almost every quote you've read yeah as i drift off the only thoughts in my mind are ones of a mysterious man in the shadows who makes me feel like the most beautiful thing in the world when i never have before how does she know that if she never saw his face other than his square jaw as he reached forward to grab his drink i don't know Um, guess how, uh, we are introduced, the, the main character of this romance book is introduced to not the main guy, I, surprisingly, and I'll get to that after I finish my quotations, but if you had to guess how the showgirl, uh, on Friday nights is introduced into the world of our male protagonist. Uh, someone hits on her and he saves her. That's uh, a nice way of putting it. Sexual assault, of course. Yeah, I was. I was yeah. So this that guy bums me out. Uh, this guy, I forget what it is. Enzo comes and saves Enzo? him. Enzo. Yeah, uh, my savior gives him another hard punch to the gut that crumples him to the pavement, and then he straightens and turns to me. That sounds like the guy who got hit to the pavement turns and faces. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not. He's quite handsome with tan skin, dark hair, and eyes that look like they hold a million secrets. I wish it had just stopped at eyes with dark hair, tan skin, and eyes. And eyes. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> uh, he doesn't get there fast enough, so he's worried that the boss is going to be mad at me. He makes a call and says, oh, she got, you know, pushed up against the car, and she was hurt. And uh, he later, uh, we'll get to that later. So that's Enzo, and I'll get to Enzo in a little bit. Uh, she ha- He hands the phone with the boss, the, our main, main character, Tessa. His smooth, deep voice floats through the phone and into me, my hand curling around the phone a little tighter. My, You know how when you're horny, your hand grips things really tight? <laughs> Actually. Uh, <laughs> my name sounds like a caress coming from him, and I feel it coat my insides like warm, raw honey. Honey. Sugary, sweet, with Ew. a touch of roughness. You know how honey's kind of rough? 
My breath leaves my lungs and I angle away from Enzo so he can't see my reaction. Go with Enzo and let the doctor check you out. Again, his voice does something to me that I'm not used to. My stomach knots and my heart starts beating a little faster. I'm fine, I tell him softly. You don't need softly. There's too many words. But wince internally at the lie. The truth is my face is starting to throb and my arm is sore. You're not, he says firmly, his voice dropping an octave. You're not. Yeah. So that would be like... <laughs> an octave is I, a lie. I don't have perfect pitch, but let's let's even approximate. Like, do, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Right? So he's talking yeah. up here and then he talks down here. Is yeah. he like, hey, Tessa, how's it going? You need to go to the doctor. Or it's so, it's actually so low that it doesn't register on the phone and she's just listening to nothing. Tessa, go to the doctor. Uh, I have a feeling he must be used to getting what he wants from everyone around him when he commands they do something. But I'm not like that. I've been on my own for a long time now and only only know how to rely on myself. Does she no then one explain else. his three jobs again? Basically. But uh, guess how many times she ever actually stands up for herself in this book? I'm going to go with maybe half of a time. Yeah, never. Uh, it's just Fifty Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's even a virgin, uh, except instead of S&M, it's murder, as we'll get to. Oh, God. Uh, he has the penthouse at the Aces, the best hotel and casino in Atlantic City. And it's like, oh, there's an Atlantic City? Never fucking mind. I don't care. <laughs> what is this? Las Vegas Junior? To my left is a massive kitchen and dining room that has me dreaming of cooking something just so I could use the beautiful equipment. I've never seen a place like this. It screams money, power, and status, and I feel out of place in my plain clothes and modest upbringing. I don't know this kind of wealth. I'm just a dancer in a casino. We know! Oh, she didn't say that. She didn't say that last part. It's just... Oh, God. I'm just going to lose my mind every time she has to explain her jobs again. Then we switch over to Alec, who is the underboss of a New York mafia family. Cute. She makes me crazy, and I can't afford to be crazy when I need a level head to be who I am. Why did you have to be who I am when I need a level head? Yeah. I want her, but I can't have her. She's too good, too pure. Oh, gross. One of these again. His older brother uh, is described as, he's wound tighter than a coil wrapped around a spring, always on the verge of exploding. Too many words. Too many words. We are 7% through. Do you know how in like literary analysis, there's like, there's only... Like, you can boil almost every story Man down into society. X number of storylines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like they need to add one to that, and it's bad boy likes good girl. Yeah, except she's not that good. But she thinks she's bad, as well. Get, whatever. The moment I saw her, he thinks, all I thought was mine. Uh, we should just, from here on out, just, uh, this is not a fun thing to have to say. But I'm going to go ahead and say that there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, emotional abuse going on in the rest of this book Cute. and a lot of uh, really terrible controlling things that don't worry, it's sexy because in this fantasy where you need a good dicking, that's all you need is a good dicking to yeah. solve every problem. And you know who loves to give good dickings is uh, bad boys, bad boys. I've kept my distance, though. I've sent her flowers and jewelry after every show, but I've re- remained anonymous. When she wore the earrings and necklace for me last week, it made me so fucking hard. <laughs> I could barely walk out of the show without going to her. It was like she was wearing me, and I wanted to finally claim what I've known as mine for weeks. Is this smutty Phantom of the Opera? More or less. From what <laughs> I've learned about her, I know she's alone. She doesn't know the world I live in, and I don't want to drag her into it. 
Just the thought of her gets me harder than I've ever been. And I don't like that all the men in the audience tonight were watching her and wishing they could have her when I'm not there. I'm fucking crazy. She makes me fucking crazy. And I have to say, he's pretty fucking crazy as we'll get to. This is not like a Christian Grey where it's like, hey, I'm into some weird shit. And I'm rich and handsome, so you're going to go along with that? This is like, he's a mob boss and not a good one. He's a psychotic fucking crazy dude. Her long, this is him uh, going up to her while she's on his couch after a sexual assault. Her long legs are stretched out in front of her, and she looks small and fragile. I know she's not, though. A woman who is, comma, could never handle being with a man like me. Tessa's strong. She knows loss. She knows pain. She knows independence. She knows how to survive. She knows how to dance is all you know about her. Hasn't he literally just met her for the first time? Yeah. What's your name? Those are the first words she says, naturally. And her voice cuts me deep, shooting straight to my dick. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ. It's even better in person. (laughs) Oh my God. This one is pretty bad. But I think it's illustrative on how uh, bad this is. Brushing my fingers over her black eye, Tessa closes her eyes briefly, a little sigh leaving her lips as she leans the slightest bit into me. That little separation of her pouty lips is giving me visions of how they look stretched wide around my cock. Gross. I hate it. He calls her Bella twice in two sentences. And I'm like, oh, is this going to be a thing? No, surely not. And he calls her Bella like every single time. He calls her Bella? Bella, like beautiful in Italian. Oh, um, I thought you meant that the author oh, forgot no. that she literally like, wasn't writing Twilight fanfic. Me Bella. Um, yeah, that would be pretty funny. <laughs> um, this is, yeah. You know, and you remember the uh, scene, uh, movie Multiplicity? Yes. Where the more clones they clone and then they get the clone of a clone. And he's like, yeah. we're going to ride a dolphin. I'm, uh, this is the that clone to Twi- er, Twilight. And that's saying something yeah. where Twilight started. Uh, for Enzo's great crime of not literally being at her side when he's supposed to remain hidden that he's following her because he's been following her for several weeks to keep her safe. And it's like, but sent for his great crime of being late enough that he was able to beat up the man after he had pinned her the car for several seconds. Yeah. Our mob boss grabs him by the throat, slams his head into the wall, shakes him by his, uh, shirt, punches him in the face and leaves him there. Does he die? Uh, uh, eventually. Uh, but this is the, this is the guy who, uh, assaulted her. I pull out a switchblade from my pocket and that guy's eyes widen, widen, placing his hands on his thigh. I stab the knife through the back of his hand and straight into his leg, pinning it down. Oh my God. His garbled scream echoes around my head as I grip his throat. You won't be leaving here alive. He cuts his throat just in the basement of his casino. That's 10%. Okay. Like I can understand a smutty book, even if. This relationship dynamic does not do it for me. I can understand why people want to read a smutty book. Yeah. Why the graphic murder yeah, in so the smutty book? That's what I was getting in. Like when I was getting there, I was like, okay, I, you know, this is a fantasy that nobody actually wants to come true. It's one of those ones. But even still, I was getting like, I was getting further and further away. So this is how she thinks of him. He's dark. He's dangerous. I saw it in his eyes, his walk, his posture, his entire aura and demeanor. But there's something else there. Something I can't help but be drawn to while still remaining just the slightest bit afraid of him. Maybe it's the murder. Yeah, I bet it's the murder. I need to know his secrets. What makes him tick. Why he comes to watch me every week. Why he leaves me lavish gifts without ever having met me. And why he's had someone following me. Because he's got issues. 
My God, he's beautiful. Beautiful in the way lightning is when it cracks across the sky during a summer thunderstorm. All right. You know, there's a metaphor. There's a simile. That works pretty well. And then she goes on to say, powerful, dangerous, electric, uncontrollable, a force of nature. You Too want many to, words. You want to get closer. You want to dance in the warm rain. But you know if you do, then you risk getting struck. You risk getting burned. The, you risk everything, including your life. The point of using a metaphor like that is that the reader understands that whole last paragraph that you read without you having to say so many words. Yeah. The sleeves of his crisp white dress shirt are rolled up to his... I'm skipping pages and pages again, by the way. Uh, rolled up to his elbows, exposing his tanned, muscular forearms that I'm having visions of seeing flexing on either side of my head as he thrusts into me. Yuck. Uh, just then he says his name, by the way. Several... Uh, I think He says his own name while giving her a dicking? No, she is fantasizing about that. Oh. And it took that long for him to say his name uh, with me skipping as much as I did. I liked the idea of him wanting to me to be safe too much to put up much of a fight. She, he says, you're just going to stay here. You can't leave. I'm not letting you leave. That's kidnapping. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that in a very long time. Someone looking out for my safety. Not since my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Her brother died. Is that why she has to work three jobs? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Too many words. Uh, just mwah, quintessential example here. She takes a hot bath. This is after being uh, sexually assaulted and meeting this hot guy. Sprinkling in, sprinkling in lavender power, powder, I sink into the hot water and sigh. My sore muscles from all the extra practicing I've been doing, feeling relief on contact. Not only is that too many words, but it's also a really awkward sentence yeah. structure. Again, not a whole lot of revisioning that went on in this, I don't think. He says, take a seat. Doing as he says, my thighs come in contact with the cold lever leather of this chair and a shiver runs through me. Thank you for describing a sitting work. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of work do you do? He flashes me a little smirk and rubs his jaw. I own the aces. I want you to uh, read the sentence. Uh, this is supposed to be dialogue, by the way. I own the aces. And she says, my eyes widen. You own this hotel slash casino? <laughs> Do you think she verbalized the slash? I don't know. <laughs> he describes her to her. This is one of their first, their second conversation. So beautiful. I've never seen anyone like you. The way you move. He rubs his bottom lip with his thumb. I couldn't go near you, though. I still know I should stay away. But after tonight, I don't think I can anymore. Why would you stay away? I whisper my throat twice. I, I whisper my throat tight. That's hard to say. Swirling his whiskey, he takes another sip. For many reasons. I love all of the descriptions of what he's doing with his hands before he says something dramatically. Oh, just like, wait. He rubs his chin, his thumb over his bottom lip. He swirls his whiskey. Yeah. Leaning forward with his elbows on his knees. Cool. Thanks for the, the extra way to say leaning forward. Yeah. His dark eyes hold mine with unwavering attentiveness. <laughs> Making my stomach twist in knots and my core clench with need. She says core when she means pussy. 
Uh, I chose, he says to her, I chose black roses to send you because I see the darkness in you that you try and hide from the world. It's what drives you to dance. It's what keeps you at a distance from everyone around you. You're a black rose blooming on stage, but you close up again once that final curtain falls. And because this is Smutty Phantom of the Opera. There is nothing in this book that suggests she's anything but just a person. She is not an evil person. She has not gone into a bunch of fights. She did not somehow ruin her life with bad decisions. She's just nothing except a receptacle for a good dicking. Well, and he ha- I feel like he's projecting his own nonsense onto her so that he feels like he has a reason for his obsession. When somebody stares at you that you are attracted to, do your uh, boobs feel heavier? What the hell? No. The longer he stares, the heavier my chest feels. The more that the silk starts to feel like it's too tight. (laughs) What? This is very stupid. He immediately, or he looks up when I approach and his eyes immediately scan down my body and back up. Or as most people would write, scan my body or looks me up and down. His expression doesn't change, just his eyes. They turn a shade darker. No, they don't. As if I were standing before him in lingerie and not fully clothed and I have to grip the back of the chair in front of me to steady myself. A man looked at me. I almost fell down. Like the the woman who took a cup of coffee and made an orgasm noise. Well, take a seat. He nods, pouring me a cup from a French press. Sliding the cup and saucer towards me, I add a little cream from the white porcelain creamer between us and take a sip, letting the liquid gold slide down my throat, waking me up further. <laughs> That's the first time I wrote down too many words. Thank you for explaining how coffee works. Uh. Oh, in his penthouse. He has the penthouse to this. And she's like, why do you have the penthouse? Oh, the penthouse of the ca- hotel, casino slash hotel. Yeah, hotel slash casino. Is Atlantic City an island? Like, is it on an island? I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I think it's just a, a coast. Uh, but she can see the ocean from both sides of the hotel. Gonna look that up, but I don't think that's how. Yeah, that particular. So geography she's works. assumedly facing east the first time she's in the the penthouse, right? Okay. Facing east towards the Atlantic City, and then she goes. Oh, it is on an island. It is on an island. All, All right. right, but fair it, enough. It still wouldn't be like the ocean, you know? Like you wouldn't say that that's the ocean if it's just like a. No, inlet. I feel like you would call that like a bay the water or a or harbor. Whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. Anyway, it's a bad book. Um, everything, by the way, I don't. I won't have time to bring this back up. Uh, but trust me when I say that a lot of stuff slides down her throat. And I'm not making just a cum reference, although it does. No, nobody drinks anything. They let it slide down their throat. And it's like when you're second learning to write, when you're like, yeah. I can't say said. I need something to spice up these saids. And it's like, no, just say said. Your writing will do the explaining for you. You don't have to say it slides down their throat. Yeah, just say you're drink. Spot on, you're spot on with that. Don't use a dollar when a dime word will do, you know? It's very alliterative. He says, I usually... He doesn't say this. He thinks this. I usually need a woman completely under my command. Gross. But now the thought of Tessa giving me the same fire and fight in the bedroom as she did this morning has my dick harder than it's ever been. And what she said was, I have to go to work. And he says, no, you don't. She goes, yeah, I do. It's work. Like, I have to go to work. That's fucking... Oh, made my dick so hard the way she said I have to go to work. Also, I feel like this is just them staring at each other and him thinking about how hard he is. Like, that's the whole plot so far. 
Uh, she thinks, Alex scares me in the best of ways. I know I shouldn't accept his gifts. I know I shouldn't go and meet him again. I know I should stay, stay away from him. But I also know I like the way I feel when I'm around him. I like the way I feel about myself when I'm around him. He makes me feel seen, beautiful, important, and worthy. And it's like, well, look at those red flags flying. <laughs> I don't like myself when I'm not with him. I, yeah, He knows what's best for me. We get a lot of that. A lot of that. I hate it. Uh, I think I start to close down because it starts just getting grosser and grosser. My my brain is a pile a mush instead of of mush. My heart has a rapid beat like the wings of a hummingbird, and my core is throbbing like the steady beat of a bass drum needing the song Alex started to hurry to the crescendo and epic finale. Too many words. But that will have to wait. Walking with Alec is something I've never experienced before. What? Clearly, where I usually try to blend in my everyday life, just a ho-hum, nothing Vegas showgirl. Alec is the complete opposite. He commands the attention of everyone in any room he's in, and it's of no exception here. Why was that last clause necessary? I don't know, and I don't think it's well written either. Uh, they go to dinner. Are you afraid of me? No, I tell him honestly. When I look in his eyes, I don't see someone I should be afraid of. I see a man who is looking for something to grasp onto before he realizes the entire world is on one side of the glass with just him on the other. Should I be? Probably. If you knew all the things I've done, then you would be. Cool. Uh, Very cool. He reminds like her, a really good relationship. I want you to challenge me. And then he proceeds to grip her by the arm and spin her around a lot. I want you to be the blooming rose I see on stage whenever you're with me. I want you to give me that dark beauty that fights to be free from you, but that you keep locked away. My chest rises and falls with my short, with my short little breaths. I'm glad it's not someone else's short little breaths. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know what he's asking for. I don't know if I can. My fingers play with the cloth napkin in my lap, twisting and nodding it while my mind and heart at, are at war. You don't know what you're asking for. <laughs> I whispered. I know full well what I'm asking for. His voice dropping another octave, by the way. How low can this man's voice get? She was at, he was asking about her parents. Her parents died in a car crash, her brother. My brother took care of me then. He never made me feel like a burden, blah, 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 blah. When I was 18, I started again. We were walking home and he was swallowing hard. The words won't form and I can't stop the flood of built-up emotions bubbling to the surface. I've kept James's memory and everything that happened that day buried so deep and I, that I've yet to deal with them. I can't. I'll be right back, I say in a rush, grabbing my purse and standing, but with no idea where the bathroom is, I just walk straight out of the restaurant and into the crowd of people walking around. I get bumped as I blindly walk in a trance with no idea where I'm going. Tessa, Alex's angry voice growls from behind me as his hand grips my upper arm to stop me. Where the fuck are you going? Gross. Spinning me around to face him, Alec walks me over the wall and pins me against it. I love that Gross. She's, she's like, I don't, I don't know how to say this. And so she just leaves. And then he's disgusting enough to be like that. Um, did, like, was Alex's mob connection somehow responsible for her brother's death? Yes. All right, so that's enough. We know that there's too many words, and we know that this uh, this book starts out incredibly cliche and doesn't really get any better because in that Hot Rod book, remember the where she uh, she was the bartender and he was the mechanic, and they went yep. out, and then very stupidly they he like babysat with her, yeah. and then they played war. Yeah, it's like that was stupid, but that's what sort of blooming relationships can, can sometimes be based on is this stupid little thing yeah. that you get to see another side of somebody. I like that she's competitive. I like that he's good with kids. Yeah, they never, never do anything but fuck in this book. They go to dinner and then she just walks and leaves. They don't have a conversation. She doesn't even eat the food. 
She just gets up and goes back to their apartment, and they don't have sex that time because they want you to beg me for it. Gross! Um, but then it's not like they ever go get ice cream. Yeah. They don't... He doesn't, like, put her in the car and show her the sights in New York as he sees it. Hey, I'm killing you. <laughs> it's just a series of conversations where she's like, I fucking hate you. You're a murdering psychopath. And then he's like, no, you don't. You love me. And grabs her and then kisses her. And then they fuck and she's fine with it. Over I and over again. That. And so it's not even like, I get that this is a porn book or whatever. And I start skipping after the, the literal climax of the book. <laughs> but there is quite a bit of gross stuff I might go back and quote. But in order for this to be worth a book, it needs to keep going somewhere. Yeah. Right? Like... The other book, the reason I guess that they wouldn't kiss until the 42% is then that's like, oh, the rest of the book will happen instead. And yeah. will they, won't they? Oh, they kiss, but they didn't do it. And now they, she had an orgasm. Because if she it happens it. that quickly, what is the point of the rest of the book? Yeah. And it's... And it's apparently just to keep repeating the same gross stuff. Yeah. Um, while they're having sex the first time and he's giving her a ripe good dicking. She's a virgin, by the way. Uh, but she's great at sex. Uh-huh. That's how that always goes. Like I come back to, there's the idea of like a good dicking is sometimes like, hey, that's what's in store. That's what you kind of are looking for. Whatever. I get that one. But I hope that even during the good dickingest time that the man is not hoping to hurt your vagina. Yeah. Ow. No, thank you. I hope that's this very terrible. tomorrow. It could be like if it happens and the, the lady's like, hey, I'm a little bit sore. It could be kind of like, a, oh, I'm sorry, but like, Nice. But while it's happening, being like, I hope this fucking hurts tomorrow. Ow! No, thank you. That's really fucked up. uh, They do it three times in a row. Not like that night. Like, literally, he does not withdraw uh, and has no refractory period. That just doesn't seem biologically realistic on either end. It does not. Um... There's that same thing that happened in, it has happened in other books where after she, oh, he always fucks her to unconsciousness. Like she passes out every time. It's, it's, uh, Does she go blind of the from her eyes roll loss ba- of blood flow to the optic nerve? Her eyes roll back in, into her head like she's in a fucking anime porn. <laughs> uh, and so then he washes her in the, in the shower, which is, I think. Oh, that is another weird bibliophile sex book trope is like. I think it has to do with the sort of like. I'm his possession, but at least he's taking care of me. Bullshit. Yeah, I don't like that either. Uh, he washes me like he washes his fancy china. Um, I don't mind in the sex books when they're like, we had, we we did it and it was fun, and then we took a shower afterwards. Like, oh, that's she, totally fair. She almost always falls right asleep yeah. even after multiple rounds of like hard fucking, and it's like, girl, you are gonna get a UTI. Something. Yeah, you need awful. to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, at a time she goes back to dancing, and there's a bunch of gross stuff that I don't, I'm not even gonna cover. Uh, she goes back to the studio and, uh, just decides I'm going to dance by myself after everybody's gone. And so she picks the dance that she danced the night her parents were killed in the car crash. Okay. Okay. Why? Whatever. Uh, I hope I have the, the quote here, but, uh, there's a whole lot of just bullshit. Uh, and so that time that she's at the, uh, dance studio something back oh no she goes back to work at the diner and enzo wasn't supposed to let her out of the apartment and she's like no i have to go to work and he's like oh i'm a person and you're a person so i'm gonna let you go to work i'm still gonna follow you like we're good friends now we've we've talked a couple times because that's what people do i'm gonna follow you to work and like make sure no one hurts you or anything 
because those are my orders, but I'm still going to let you leave. And so then he goes, uh, the boss goes to the diner where she is and finds out that she's wearing, you know, a diner outfit. And he gets so possessive. Her work uniform. Yeah, that he uh, drags her out of the... the uh, uh, Fucking uh, hate that. Yeah, the restaurant. Like, you can't work like this. Uh, he uh, rips several uh, underwear off of her. Not just once, like, not just the first time. Uh, every time. Uh, and so then after the, uh, oh. sorry, I was looking for a different quote, but then this one popped up filling her. I coat her inner walls with my seed, her pussy greedily taking it all so much. So I feel our combined juices leaking out when I slip out of her. That is one of the most disgusting sentences you've ever read aloud on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Enzo, was supposed to keep her in the apartment and didn't. And he goes and he gets this gross ass abusive controlling. Like, you can't wear that uniform in front of other men. And Enzo has failed him for the second time. So he pulls out a fucking gun and shoots him to death. Jesus. In front of her. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? And this is what takes me back to the point. There's mob bosses where they boss around people in the mob. And then there's psychopaths. Which is like, when he died from getting, when Enzo died, it ruined any chance this book had of being interesting. Because how this book should have happened is that he threatened Enzo one last time and beat him up. And Enzo said, fuck this shit. And like, confessed his feelings for the protag the girl. And she's like, oh, wait a minute. He's hot and can give me a good dicking and isn't this asshole. Actually, this is better. And they run away or do something to the mafia. Because if you're going to pull out your gun and shoot people and beat them up for letting a girl go to work while you're still following... You're not going to stay on top, bud. No. It's not going to happen. Okay. One thing that I feel like I'm missing, what was Enzo supposedly protecting her from? Like, who's coming after her? Oh, because he's got enemies and they're going to use her to get to him. It's like, they wouldn't have, if she'd just been a dancer at this fucking casino or what? Yeah. It's the hotel slash casino. He, uh, he put her wants and needs above my order. This one's really gross. This one's really gross. You can't win when it comes to me, Tessa, he says as he thunders into me in an unrelenting pace that I know will have me sore and bruised in the morning. I fucking own you. I own this body. I own this pussy. I own your mind. I own your everything. I hate this book very much. Um. Then it continues to go. Uh, she... Uh, Goes to a family dinner at 70% through, uh, 70% of the way through the book, and it takes the time to introduce every single family member by name. And I'm like, I don't um, give two shits. It's how many of them are actually relevant to the actual plot? Three. Yeah. Um, but it's very clear that the next book is just one of the other people. So anyway, she then, uh, after Enzo dies, there's one more thing that he fucks up because he's a terrible person. Oh, she finds out he was responsible for his brother, or her brother, dying. And so she... Leaves, sl- right? Yeah, she has a show that's for some reason, he allows her to do when he's not going to be there. And she slips out the, the dressing room door with two friends. They're going to go party it off and fuck, fuck boys, right? Like, not literally, like, fuck them, but yeah. screw these... Screw these assholes. And then it turns out that the two dancers who finally invite her out uh, were doing it 
on payment of the triads, a Chinese mafia, to and she gets kidnapped and taken, and, and the it's gross this too. This is the last eighty percent or the last twenty percent of the book. Oh yeah, and it's what's worse is that it's very quickly resolved with they find her very quickly, and then the triad uh, they bust in and shoot them, but they save the one guy who had cut her twice, and then once severely on the arm, and then she's like, I want to, I want to punish him. And then she wakes up and gets out of the hospital and they have him locked in the basement. She goes down the This is fucked up. This is where it goes like, hey, this is no longer like a fantasy I can not get but get. They go down in the basement and she's like, well, I can't do it anymore. He's like, I'll do it for you, baby. And he stabs him in the thigh with the switchblade, both thighs. Oh my God. And then sticks the knife through his throat so that it's poking out both ends. who is doing this to Alec to the triad guy that they captured with her watching. Oh my God. Uh, And then she's like, oh my God. And they start making out, but he's like gurgling. And so he rips the knife out of the dude's throat. So he's bleeding to death. And then they fuck in that room. With the dead guy still bleeding. What? What? Um, and then, you know what's really hilarious? Then there's four more sex scenes. Or that's one of the four sex scenes. The climax, of which there are many in this book, hey The climax is her being rescued from the triads at 83%. And between 83 and 98, there's four more sex scenes. How? What? Oh my god. Who, who is, other than us, for this podcast that I'm now reconsidering, um, who is reading this? Who I, is seeking this out? I this is so messed up. do not want to know. Ugh. Um, she later forgives uh, Alec for, because he's got such a good dick, for killing his uh, her brother. Uh, my brother didn't deserve to die for his actions, but punishing Alec for a choice he made six years ago without knowing the consequences won't bring James back. So yeah, I'm going to marry him. You can still not yeah. love talk a murderer to him or sleep with him. Um, and then we find out, and he's like, hey, for you, I killed the guy that killed your brother. And it's like, Bud, you told him to do that. You don't get to decide uh, six years later that that was the wrong idea for him to do. You are going to be murdered by your own people if you keep doing it. Like, you should have been a while ago, apparently. Uh And so it's not even like a hot, dangerous guy who makes the, the decisions he needs to stay in power. He's a literal, insane psychopath. I hate this book. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm very happy you got it from me, not the other way around. I would not have finished it. I know. Yeah. Um, um, I am sorry. I thought it was going to be like smutty and problematic, but not not to this level. Yeah. So you, it's been a while, as the Baronet later Ben Stain said. Uh, but you got me one that got me to talk for a full hour, so. There is that. Yeah, but you said horrifying things for a full hour. Just like my uncle. (gasps) Oh. I don't even have it. (laughs) You know what? Too many words. Too many words. Just like this podcast. We'll sign off with only a couple more. Uh Twitters. Dickie Ma. Bibliovile. Susan J. Uh, Band. Elixir. Album. Rampant. Rampant. Babe of the Night. Song. Babe of the Night. Good night. (laughs)